Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, again, my name is Dan Schmidt. I serve at Faith Church in Excelsior, and uh, we are actually partner churches with you guys here at North Cross. Uh, we do a lot of cool things. Uh, Pastor Matt teaches our youth group via live stream. Uh, Pastor Ben is actually preaching over at Faith today. And then this past week, Pastor Matt and I got to run Camp Croy, uh, which is in Danbury, Wisconsin. And so our two churches uh, got a new session going on this year. So it was a, a lot of fun stuff working together. Um, also, I have some cool connections. Mark, who is leading worship today, uh, his family and mine did family vacations growing up. Uh, Pastor Matt, he may not actually admit this, but he and I knew each other all the way back when we were five years old. And any stories he tells you, remember this, I'm a forgiven child of God, okay? Um, We reconnected in college, and we were in a band together, and he is an amazing bass player, trombonist, and pianist. He probably hasn't shown those uh, gifts off. Maybe he has. Um, And then Pastor Ben and I and Pastor Matt, we all played on the same soccer team. So I may seem new to you, but I I feel like I've known you guys forever. Um, And and what's beautiful about that is is Pastor Ben talked last week about Genesis chapter 2, where God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Emphasizing the reality is that that we need connection. We need community. uh, We need partnerships. But we've also found out that community, relationships, partnerships are hard. And we're going to talk about why that is today. And throughout the series of Genesis, you've been comparing and contrasting what evolutionary theory says about the origins of mankind and what the the Bible says about that. And the evolutionary theory proposes this idea that man, women, humankind, we are progressing, that we are getting better, that we are becoming more civilized. (laughs) I'll just stop there. and, and you laugh because the reality is, and, and you think about the pandemic, the pandemic has really highlighted how that's not true, how we're really digressing. And the fact is that all these things that are coming out in the news right now, what's going on in our culture, you've noticed that people may have not been acting all that civilized, right? It's, it's hard for us uh, to listen to each other's point of view, to hear the, the other side of the story. Uh, we're not getting better, we're getting worse. Uh, not too long ago, I, I flew out of the Minneapolis airport and... If, if we were getting better, what I would have seen is people interacting with strangers and sitting next to each other and saying, hey, what's your name? Where are you going? Where are you flying today? I didn't see any of that. Uh, what I did see is this. Lots of people on their phones. I could hear people talking, but they were talking to anyone around. They were talking on their, their, uh, their phones with their, their uh, Bluetooth in. It's getting harder and harder. There was a study done about teenagers who spend most of their time texting, and they were given the opportunity to make a phone call to the Domino's uh, pizza to order. (laughs) And and when they studied these young teens who spent most of their time texting each other instead of talking on the phone, they noticed that the anxiety level went through the roof when they had to talk to somebody on the phone. Things aren't getting better. And that's what the Bible tells us. Uh, We're going to take a look today at Genesis chapter 3, where it talks about how uh, in the beginning, when God made everything good, very good, we were at our pinnacle, we were at our top, but now we are in this fast decline. We're also going to talk about the the big questions that a lot of people ask and wonder about is, where in the world did good and bad come from? Right and wrong, moral and immoral. And then why is it that every time we do something that's wrong, that we feel bad about it? We feel shame. And, and then we, we, we try to hide it. We try to pin it on somebody else or maybe even on God. And how is it that we deal with these feelings of shame and guilt? 
that leads so many people to do things that, that are bad, bad habits, uh, leads them into despair, even thoughts of, of suicide. Well, that's what God's word is going to answer for us today in Genesis chapter 3. It's going to answer those questions and so many more. And so what I'd like to do at this moment is just share the story of Genesis chapter 3. So we have to go back to Genesis chapter 2 where God puts Adam and Eve, the first two perfect people, in this beautiful garden called Eden. And he gives them all these fruit-bearing trees and he says, you can eat from all of these except for one. It's called the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can't eat from that one because if you eat from that one, you will surely, anyone know? Die. You'll die. So you fast forward to chapter three and all of a sudden this serpent comes walking up to Eve. Did you catch what I said? The serpent is walking up to Eve, has legs, and starts talking to her. And, and it asks this question. It says, did God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees in this garden? And Eve very astutely says, no, no, no. He said we could eat from all these trees. He just said we couldn't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil because if we eat from it, we will surely die. And the serpent responded, no, 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 no. Actually, if you eat from that tree, you're going to be just like God knowing good and evil. So she looks at that tree and she looks at that beautiful fruit. She takes a bite. Tastes really good. She hands it to her husband, Adam. He takes a bite. And then all of a sudden, shame. They look at each other before they looked at each other in admiration, but now they see each other naked and they try to hide. They, they sew together fig leaves. And then all of a sudden, they hear God walking in the garden at the cool of the day. And God calls out, where are you? And Adam sheepishly responds, um, I hid because I was afraid of you. And then God asked, did, did you perhaps eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? And he said, well, the woman you gave me, she told me to, to eat it. And then he went to the woman and said, what did you do? Well, the serpent, he made me do it. And then God went up to the serpent. He said, cursed are you among all the animals for now on, you will no longer walk, but you will crawl and slither and eat dust the rest of your life. And he said this profound statement. He said, and I will put enmity, hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will crush, and he will crush, you will crush his heel. That's what he said. And then he turned to the woman. He said, because you sinned against me, now you will have pain in your labor when you give birth. He said to the man, now because you sinned, there will be toil, there will be thorns and thickets that you have to deal with. And then God said, no longer can you eat from the tree of life, but now I must expel you from this beautiful garden. And so then he put this huge cherubim, an angel with a blazing sword in front of the entrance so they could never enter again. That's the story. Now, what I'd like to do is, is go back through this and unpack it for you and help us apply this to our own lives. And so let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. What's interesting is that the context of Genesis does not tell us who the serpent is. You have to go all the way to the final book of the Bible, which is, anybody? Revelation. You have to go all the way back to Revelation 20 to find out that the serpent, the ancient serpent, is the devil. Satan himself, the father of all lies, he is the accuser. And the accuser is here doing what he does best. Let's keep going. <clears throat> he says, he said to the woman, did God really say, everybody read that with me? Did God really say, so he's planting doubt in their minds right off the bat. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. He goes on. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what you have to understand about the devil is that he is constantly using the same tactics he's used for millennia. And that's planting seeds of doubt. He uses a little bit of truth and mixes it with a whole bunch of lies. And so the first truth is this, that God told Adam and Eve that they should not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. The lie is that the devil said that they can't eat from any of the trees in the garden. The other truth is that God said that if they ate from that tree, they would most certainly die. Well, Satan comes along and says, you're not gonna die. In fact, you're gonna be just like God, knowing good and evil. The other truth is that God was protecting Adam and Eve from knowing good and evil. It obviously existed at that time, but it's not something that they needed to know about. And so the devil planted this idea that God was hiding something good from his children, and they needed to be just like God. Again, be aware that the devil is using those very same tactics with you today. He's going to try to convince you that sinning isn't a big deal, that breaking God's commands is actually a wonderful thing instead of something that will cause catastrophe in your life. He'll try to convince you that, uh, that these are all good things to do the opposite of what he tells us. And the biggest and most dangerous lie is that he says, you and I can be just like God. Now you may be thinking, well, I've never thought that before in my life. But let me ask you this. Do you want to be in control? Do you want to call the shots? Do you want to determine what's right and what's wrong? When you hear the law, when you hear God's commands, do you kind of bristle and go, I don't like that? Be aware that Satan is in the room trying to get you to fall into his trap. Another one of his traps is to make you believe that that sin is only going to affect you, nobody else. Have you ever thought that before? Like, I don't know why it is, but I've fallen into these temptations where it's like, Dan, you're the only one who's going to get hurt. So it's no big deal. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, if I'm the only one who's going to get hurt. Like, why would I want that to happen? But I fall into that trap, assuming that no one else is going to get hurt. But the reality is there's always a ripple effect. It doesn't just affect you. You know this from experience, that if you're married and you sin, it's going to affect your spouse. If, if you're parents and you have children, it's going to affect your children. If you have siblings, it's going to affect your brother or sister, the people you work with, the people you go to school with. There is always a ripple effect. We need to be mindful. We need to be careful. We need to be watch out that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, and we are that someone. We need to watch out. Now, the other thing I want to point out here is that, okay, Obviously, that's horrible. That's, it's not cool. And, and the big question I have, and many of you probably have had, is why in the world did God put that tree in the middle of the garden in the first place? Like, if God hadn't done that, none of this would, I wouldn't be talking about this today. But if that's our thought, if that's where our mind goes, then we don't understand what God wants for you and me. The reality is God wants to have a relationship with us. That God wants us to love him, and he wants us to know that we are loved by him. And that in order for us to have this love relationship, there has to be a conscious decision. We are not computers. 
A, a computer programmer can program many thoughts and ideas into a, a robot, for example. And it can say, computer, say, I love you. Like, how many of you have played with Alexis or uh, Siri and asked, do you love me? And it comes up with this weird answer. Like, it can't have a relationship with you. It can say things, but they're all programmed. God does not want you to be a supercomputer programmed to love him. That's not what he designed us for. He wants us to have relationship with him. That's how he created us, and that's what he wanted with Adam and Eve. And so how do we have this relationship? How do we love God? Take a look at this, 1 John chapter 5. It says this, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. The way that you and I get to show God love is by keeping his commands. And God gave Adam and Eve just one, not 10, one commandment. Do not eat from the fruit in the middle of the garden. And it wasn't burdensome. Think about it this way. So you show up to church today. We have this huge spread of food out there. You're all enjoying it. I say, you can eat whatever you want to your heart's delight. And, and you, you might come up to me and say, well, Dan, this is awesome. Uh, how do we say thank you? How, do you? how do we repay you? I said, this is the only thing I want from you. There's a bowl of guac guacamole in the middle of the table. It's poisonous. It's labeled poisonous. Don't eat this. Don't eat that. That's it. Don't eat the guac. And I'll feel loved, right? I'm not hiding it from you. It's not like there's five bowls of guac. I'm like, ah, you know, be careful. No, it's that one right there. It says poisonous. Don't eat it. That's it. Not burdensome. You get to eat all the rest of it. That's what God did for them. He said, here you go. You get to eat all this stuff. And I just want one little command for you to, to honor. Don't eat the tree from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the same way, God gives us his commandments so that we can show him love. And how many of us have grown up thinking that commandments are burdensome? Like, man, God doesn't want me to have fun. All my friends are hanging out and they're having a good time and I can't go do that because I'm a Christian. Do you know everybody who comes in my office asking for counsel, you know why they're there? Because they either broke a commandment or somebody else broke a commandment that affected them. The reason that God gave us the commandments, and this took me forever to figure out, it's like this. So a family builds a fence around their house. Why? Because they don't want their kids to walk out into the road and get hit by a car. Is that unloving? No, that, that is the epitome of love. In the same way, God has put this fence around you and me to protect us so that we don't get hurt, so that we can live a blessed life. That's why he gives us these commands. And then so that we can say thank you for all the amazing things that he has given to you and to me. Now, here's the other thing. God gave us these commands not so that we can earn his love. And I hope you heard that. God gave us his commands not so that we can earn his love. God already loved us. When, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, he first said, here, eat all this. And then he said, obey the commandment. They didn't obey the command and then he gave them all this fruit. In the same way for us, God said, I love you. Here's all these good things and here's some commands. Just like a good heavenly father, a, a, a good parent who loves their children unconditionally, this is how God loves you and me. And so we get to keep those commandments. But do we always keep those commandments? The reality is we don't. Sometimes we fall into the devil's trap just like Eve did. She looked at that fruit like she had never looked at it before. She saw that it was desirable to gain wisdom and knowledge and to be just like God. And she took it and she ate it and then she handed it to her husband. And immediately, both of them felt shame. Both of them understood the difference between right 
and wrong, and this was something they regretted for the rest of their lives. And immediately they wanted to cover themselves up. They wanted to hide. And then when God was walking through the garden, what did they do? They did exactly that. They ran away. And what did God do? God pursued them. And God asked them, where are you? Now let me ask you, do you think God knew where they were? Absolutely. And when God asked, did did you happen perchance to eat from the tree? Do you think God knew? Yeah. How many of you are parents out there? Okay. Uh, Some of you are newbie parents, right? Um, You're going to learn a lesson today. When a parent comes in and says, did you happen to break that plate? Parents, do you know that your kid broke the plate? (laughs) When, When you tell your kid not to eat something out of the refrigerator and you come home to eat that thing out of the refrigerator and it's gone, do you think you know that the kid took it? (laughs) So why are you putting them through this? Did you actually do this? It's because you want them to unburden their conscience. You want them to be able to confess their sins so that you can absolve them, forgive them. And that is exactly what God the Father is doing with Adam. And Adam confesses what? He confesses that he was afraid of God. I hid because I was afraid of you. Have you ever tried to hide from God? I have. It's our natural reaction. It's it's the universal human reaction to sin. And it is the same no matter where you are in the world, no matter what culture you're living in, it's always the same. And it's not an evolution thing. It's a genetics thing. Later on in Genesis 3, it says that Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all humankind. And so because you and I are descendants of Adam and Eve, every time we sin... We feel shame and guilt. And then we try to cover up our shame and guilt with a myriad of things. And and we all know from personal experience that they never work. And you know what else we do? We blame. God comes up to Adam. He said, what did you do? And you all laughed earlier when I said this, but he said, it's the woman you gave me, Lord. It's the woman you gave me. So God... Yes, we all understand that he's blaming Eve, but ultimately, who's he blaming? God. God, if you hadn't given me this woman, none of this would have happened. What were you thinking? (laughs) Right? And then he comes up to the woman. He says, what happened? Oh, it was the devil. He made me do it. Let me just talk to you. I've been married for 13 years now. And when I first got married... I always felt like justifying myself. So if I did something wrong and my wife would call me out, uh, you know what I would say? And I still fall into this. But sometimes I say, um, well, if you hadn't, you ever say that? Yeah? Any amens out there? <laughs> if you hadn't done this, I wouldn't have done that. Is that accepting blame? No. It's, it's, it's casting blame on somebody else. So let me, here's just some husbandly advice to you guys and, and to you ladies out there too. Uh, when, when you are called out on a sin that you committed, just own it. You can save yourself so much time and effort by just saying, I'm sorry. That's it. Then you can deal with their sin later on. But you admit that what you did was wrong. I am sorry. But they're not doing that at this moment. They're casting blame. And, and there are a lot of things that we can learn from this. And, and the first one is this. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. It's not, it's not up here on the screen. But this, this is huge. Sin is never God's fault. Sin is never God's fault. Blaming God for your situation 
that you got yourself into or somebody else got you into is never the solution. It's never gonna make things better. If you wanna move forward, if you honestly wanna get rid of the burden that you're carrying, the only way forward is to confess your sin, is to say it out loud, is to admit that what you did was wrong. First to yourself, then to God, and to the person that you hurt. And I know that's scary. I am talking from experience. It's not, it's not an easy thing to do. And the devil's right there with you. He's whispering in your ear and he says, don't do it. Don't listen to Pastor Dan. Because if you confess, it's gonna get worse. They're gonna get mad at you. You're gonna lose your job. You're gonna mess up your marriage. You're gonna mess up your relationship. That's, that's what the devil wants you to believe. And is the devil gonna tell you the truth? No. Is it hard to confess? Yes. Is it messy to confess? Yes, but it is the only way forward according to God. Now, listen, if you have not been confessing your sins, if you've been lying about your situation, let me ask you, how's that going for you? I, I assume that if that's you right now, you're, you're probably on edge a little bit. Maybe you're irritable. When people talk to you, you're, you're maybe on, on the angry spectrum. Maybe you're not sleeping so well at night. And if you notice that when you try to cover up your sin, doesn't it feel like everybody knows about it anyway? Have you ever had that happen? You're walking down the road and, and some stranger just looks at you. <laughs> and you're like, oh my goodness, they know. <laughs> How do they know? They probably don't know. But you know who does know? God. God knows what's going on. You can't hide it from him. You can't cover it up. It doesn't work. And so the best thing we can do is, is confess to our Heavenly Father, I've sinned. We cannot fix our sin problem. We can't fix it at all. We can't rationalize it away. We can't justify it away. We can't blame it away. And that's why we need this next verse. And I believe that, that we're all here today, we're all listening online because of this verse today, that, that we need to hear this. And maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you've never heard it before. And whether it's the first time or it's the hundredth time, we need to soak it in. Now, before I put it up on the screen, I want you to think about this. I want, I want you to think about something that you love dearly, that you worked so hard to get. Maybe it's, it's uh, you've earned money for a car, a home, a degree, uh, something that's, that's taking you a long time to obtain. And then someone that you care about comes along and makes one selfish decision and ruins it all. How do you react? Do you blow up? Do you get revenge? Do you try to tear their life apart? Or do you step into the mess and say, I got this. Let me fix this for you. See, God made this perfect world. And who knows how long he was thinking about it. It's super intricate, beautiful, perfect in all of its ways. And then he makes these people that he loves to live in it and care for it. And then one day they make one bad decision that ruins it all. And instead of coming down on them and destroying them and wreaking havoc on them, God says, I'm going to step into this mess and I'm going to fix it because only I can fix it. And this was his fix. Look at this. 
So this is Genesis chapter three, verse 15. This is the John three sixteen of the Old Testament. And God says, I will put enmity. And that word looks like the word enemy. It means hostility, conflict. So I will put this hostility or conflict between you, Satan, you snake, and the woman, and between your offspring, between your descendants and hers. He, everybody say he. So this is the most important word, he. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The he here is Jesus Christ. God walks into this mess and he says, I have a solution. And that solution is my son, your savior. This is the first promise of our savior. And notice how it is embedded in the book of Genesis, tightly knit with how the world was perfect. Now the world's imperfect and now we need a savior. And God says, I have that savior. He's gonna come into this world and he's gonna crush the head of the serpent. But before that happens, the serpent is gonna strike his heel. And where would he do that? On another tree that causes death. He would do that on the cross where Jesus took your suffering and mine. He took our shame and our blame and he allowed himself to be nailed to the cross with all of that, absorbing all the horrible things you and I have done in order to give us life. If you've been burdened and weighed down by your sin, by your shame, by your guilt, You've been trying to cover it up on your own. I'm just going to say this. Stop it. Stop it. Don't do it anymore. You can't fix it. Adam and Eve couldn't fix their sin problem. You and I can't fix our sin problem. That's why we need Jesus, the skull crusher, because he is the only one who can deal with Satan and his lies head on. You and I need Jesus. And if you put your faith, if you put your trust, if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior, if, he, if you believe that he is your sin crusher, then you have peace with God. You don't have to run away from God. He's your father. He loves you. He's not gonna kick you out. He's gonna bring you close. He says, I love you and I forgive you. You are forgiven. This is God's solution for our sin problem. Now, you hear this and you say, but why do, are there still consequences for my sins? Well, that's the reality. Here's the thing. God took away the worst consequence. Because of our sin, we deserve death, eternal death. In hell, God said, that's gone. But as we live on this earth, there are still earthly consequences. If you go 90 in, in a 70 uh, zone and you get pulled over, can God forgive you? Yes. Will you still have to pay the ticket? more than likely. There's a consequence. If you drink heavily and, and you mess up your liver, can God forgive you for that? For abusing your body? Absolutely. But he may not heal your liver. If you embezzle money from your company, can God forgive you? Yes, he can. But you may have to spend some time in jail to pay off what you stole. When Adam and Eve sinned, God forgave them right off the bat. He said, I have a solution for you. I have my son. I'm going to send him to crush the head of the serpent. But there are earthly consequences here. Eve, because you sinned, there is pain in labor when you give birth. And so every time now that a child is born, we are reminded that we are not in paradise anymore. 
When Adam sinned, God said, absolutely, you are forgiven. You are my son. You are my image bearer. But because you sin, there are consequences here on this earth. And every time you work, there's going to be thorns and thistles and toil. And every time we experience conflict at work, we're reminded we're not in paradise anymore. And ultimately, God expelled Adam and Eve from the garden because of their sin. They were forgiven, but he said, you can't be here anymore. You can't be here because I love you. This was an act of love. God disciplines those he loves. And now every time there's conflict within our relationships, it's a reminder that we're not in paradise anymore. Take a look at this next verse. Verse 22, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from, read the yellow part with me, the tree of life and eat and live forever. It might sound harsh that God expelled them from the garden, but he did it because he didn't want them to live forever in sin. Like how many of us are just longing day in and day out, I look at the news and I'm like, why did I look at the news? And every time I look at the news, I'm like, God, I can't wait for you to come back and make everything brand new. But we're not there yet. We're not in the garden right now. God doesn't want us to be here on this earth and live forever in this cesspool of sin. But God gave us the solution in Jesus. So he has not allowed us to eat from this elusive tree of life, but he will again one day. Look at this in Revelation chapter 22. This is the final book of the Bible, and it's awesome how it comes full circle. So you start in the beginning, you have this tree of life that gives life, but it's taken away because we messed up. Not God, we but then God fixed it through his son, Jesus Christ. And now, what does he say? He's talking through his uh, apostle, John. John is in Patmos. He's seeing this revelation. And it says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Just do me a favor. I know sometimes when I read, it's easy to just go, Doop, just shut off. I want you to visualize what, what I'm reading right now, okay? So you see this river of water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Do you see God sitting on his throne? Here comes this river. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood, what does it say? The tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And then it goes on. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Isn't that what we need right now? No longer will there be any curse the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Because of Adam and Eve's sin and disobedience, we have been cursed and they couldn't fix it. But instead of blaming them, we also have to look in the mirror and say, because of our own personal sins, we have been cursed and we cannot fix this on our own. And yet God in his love sent his son, the offspring of the woman, to crush the head of the serpent on that tree called the cross to give us life. And now we get to look forward to that day when Jesus comes back to make everything brand new. And then you and I will get to once again partake in that tree that gives life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for pursuing all of us when we have sinned and we've tried to run away and hide it and we know it doesn't work, God, and that burden is upon us and we can't sleep at night and that's actually a gift from you. And I pray for anyone that is burdened today that they would leave those burdens at the foot of the cross and know that your blood has washed over them, 
that they are completely, 100%, absolutely forgiven of their sins. And so, Lord, we look forward to that day together as a family. We get to partake once again in the tree of life. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.